Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hey, Elena. Happy to have you on the show. I'm so glad to have a founder who is building out a talent platform for other startups across Southeast Asia, fighting the talent war. And it's just amazing to see someone who's also pushed through the COVID scenario, which has really bedeviled so many other companies. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Hi, Jeremy. Happy Friday. We should be out for drinks rather than looking at each other over the video. But anyway, you make me sound like a Goliath holding a shield and going out to war. Perhaps I'm more of a David with a slingshot. <laughs> well, you can be both, I guess. But Lena, who are you professionally? I'm the founder of Connect One, as you rightly introduced me to be. We actually help earlier stage startups build successful teams in Southeast Asia, up to Hong Kong. So what does a successful team mean? Number one, we help them find the best talent, which summarizes as recruitment. Number two, we help them develop great teams. And that's where our HR or organization consulting kicks in. And the third part is actually living up to our name, Connect One, where we help startup founders actually make meaningful connections to help them scale. And that could include mentors, advisors, even investors. And that's probably because we're fairly entrenched in the community, having been around from the early days. And it's been eight years since we've started working with startups. So why found a talent platform? Hmm, interesting. The first half of my career was spent selling Pringles and Pampers at Procter & Gamble. I was in customer business development, which is actually a cross between sales and marketing. So nothing to do with talent, nothing to do with HR. At P&G, we were exposed to many different tasks and activities. Because we promote from within, we had to go to the, all the top universities in the different countries to actually sell the company. So every year, I would be the campus recruitment champion where I will lead a team of my fellow colleagues to the universities and we'll wine and dine the dean's list. We will conduct all these show and tell to would-be joiners. On reflection, actually, that was what I remember. That was the best moments, actually, of my, of my career. Not just bringing them in, but also then helping them develop into better leaders. One of my most memorable ones would be this first-class engineering student he accompanied his girlfriend to our career talk. He had no intentions of being in consumer goods whatsoever. I liked him and I spent many hours talking to him about why P&G, why consumer goods. He eventually joined and he told the many people that he had met thereafter in the company that he joined because of my passion, because he wanted to be surrounded by people who loved their job and company. So when I left PNG, I actually took a pause because I was pregnant and I gave birth to baby number four. And I told myself that I needed a break to look after the kids. It wasn't fair for me to be away for so many hours. And so when I took that pause, I reflected on what I was going to do next. Actually, I thought I was going to be a housewife forever. <laughs> but uh, life is full of surprises, isn't it? So as a housewife and a full-time mother, I did the right thing. I went to volunteer at my kid's school and was part of the parent support group. And serendipitously, I met this gentleman called Kelvin Tan, who is a fellow father who started work 
actually joined NUS Enterprise. And they were, as we know it at that time, on tech entrepreneurship was really vibrant in the university. He was hired to actually optimize the startup incubation program, which was a addition from the NOC program that was already going on there. And he asked me to help. So for me at that time, startup, what's that? But anyway, I just went along. So there I was in NUS, met a lot of founders in the university, learn about what they were doing. It was not tech, really, not the problem that they were solving that I was sold on. But really, the dreams and courage of these student entrepreneurs. I never had that when I was in NUS. Entrepreneurship was never even considered, not even an iota of mind space. So when I hear all these, I mean, to me, this was the future of Singapore. And I really wanted to help and maybe be a small part of this dream. I did not have the money, nor could I help build a product. And we know that obviously money and product would be the first two very important pillars for a startup to succeed. But I could certainly help with building teams. And as I reflected on what energized me in all my days in P&G and what I've learned, it was a perfect fit in a way. In fact, it's a dream come true to be able to spend my second half of my career doing something that I so enjoyed at P&G. So that's kind of how I, I came and started this company in 2013. You know, looking at your profile here, you've also done so much work for so many startups since then. You've played so much talent over the years. So I'm so curious about what you've learned about placing talent of the years. I mean, any tips or tricks around what it means to win talent in the technology world, in these uh, tech wars as we talked about? So yeah, I've, I've worked with definitely more than a hundred startups, maybe. And maybe going back a bit, when I first started working with startups, first 18 months were sans income. There was no way any startups could pay us any money. It was a lot of pro bono work, just journeying with the founders, advising them and thinking like, oh, a bit of an adult in the room that could help them be that coach on its sounding board. My first big break came during the taxi app wars, if you remember that, where there was Grab, taxi at that time, there was Uber, there was Easy Taxi. And my client was the fourth one. They were a Series B company from the UK called Halo, which was famously invested by Richard Branson and they were coming into Singapore and Southeast Asia. So that was really my first startup, I would say. Very soon after, it was a, also a fairly famous or infamous startup uh, called Honest Bee. And I think these two startups were really, I would say, the most memorable ones for me because that was when I could feel the impact of the stuff I was doing, especially with Honest Bee because they were scaling very quickly across the region and I was exposed to. So I had the mandate to actually help them fill or find the first boots on the ground for each country that they were in. At that time, I remembered I was literally pounding the streets. People didn't understand what startups were. Perhaps there was Lazada, there was Zalora, there was Grab. And Grab was like really small at that time, like 10 people in midview. So I was really pounding the streets and I would say selling dreams and trying to almost career coach these people to help them figure out that there's an alternative beyond being in a bank. So I think from there, I learned really that to separate the fit and the non-fit based on their mindset and their motivation. And the mindset is like, are you ready to do something different? Are you ready to take a, take a bit of risk in the job for your long-term career? I tell them very clearly that for a startup, they may not exist in 18 months. 
are you prepared? Are you prepared to do that? And what do you wish for yourself by joining, say, an honest bee at that time? So it, it was a lot of that mindset. And also then the motivation, like what's motivating you to talk to me? And also where are they in the Maslow hierarchy of needs? Do they have a kid? Do they have a family to, to look after? Because if they do, then I think we need to have a very open conversation because I think it's fair for you to suffer. It's not fair to drag your whole family into it just because you want to have this you know, dream. So there was a lot of that conversation. And so I, I put it as the two M's, the motivation and the mindset. And only after that, then let's talk about mastery. Let's talk about what skills do you have and what experience do you have? And we start to then put you into different roles. So if you ask me what I have learned along the way, it's these three points. For someone to succeed in a startup, it's really these three M's. Do you have the right? I know it sounds cliche, but really what is the mindset that you have? And really what is the motivation? What is the why? What is the reason you're going to give up this big banking job or leave Google to join a startup? You've got to be very, very clear about that or else you don't last more than three months or even six months. And then the third part, then we talk about skills and that's mastery. These are the three factors that has actually helped me to find successful talent and help startups build successful teams. One interesting thing you shared was about the taxi talent wars. Any good stories about the talent wars in the context of the taxi wars? Only positives. Because I came from a space, I came from FMCG where I will never talk to my Unilever competitors about what we do. No way. Very guarded. So it's a very typical old school corporate, like let's keep our, our war chest to ourselves. So when I started working for Halo or hiring their team, I didn't know anything about taxi app. So in typical Singlish, we kakala. I just called up the um, Easy Taxi country manager, Jangan. I called up the Uber country manager, Sid Shankar. And I just said, I'm trying to do this. Can you help me understand what this space is about? And I was totally surprised at how open they were. There's no holding back they would share about what was happening in that scene, what were some of the challenges they were facing with users, with the product, with the taxi drivers, and with monetization. That was one of an eye-opener for me, that the startup world is actually a very generous world. And at the end of the day, everyone can have the idea, everyone can have the same product, the platform could look the same, but you know what? It's execution. That is something dear that I hold even till now. And what's more important, both Jangan and Sid, if they are listening to this, they would know that we still have a very, very good relationship right up to today. Interesting. Execution is really a big piece of it and generosity. big part of it, of course, is the talent needed to execute. Obviously, generosity is there's a lot of long-term relationships in this uh, sector. So I'm so curious is that, you know, it feels like it's a dog-eat-dog world for talent. Everyone's like begging for engineers, for great PS, for great business leaders, for great executives. Uh, you know, just people are hunting around. Mm. So how should executives or founders or companies be thinking about how to win or play or nurture in these talent wars? So the first point that comes to mind for me is that as founders spend a lot of time fundraising. They spend hours perfecting their pitch deck. They date many VCs, cold call many before they can even get an audience with one. So much emphasis is placed on getting that venture capital and they celebrate whenever deal is made. And I would say that they need to have that same perspective or approach 
to human capital. So are you spending time pitching to would-be A talent in your company? Are you putting together a deck that will impress your would-be talent as much as you're doing to your VC? So that's the first paradigm I'd like founders to have, that same approach to VC, uh, venture capital, you must have it human capital. Because we know that having the right team or not having the right team is the third largest reason for failing or any startup to fail. So, I mean, that's the first thing I would tell founders. So you need to be able to, to pitch just like you would pitch to your VCs. And you need to be the one, the general at the front line and not getting your chief of staff or your HR person to be pitching to A talent. No A talent will want to be talking to a non-founder at the first meeting. So you got to be at the front line. So I think that's the first thing I would say. So your conviction is it super important right, in this to, to win in this war for talent. Number two, I think we need to take a more creative way to hiring in these current times. Are you ready to hire for potential? Meaning that you do not necessarily need to check all the boxes. Maybe there are some boxes that you can't check. For example, I've, I've just completed a report which I am going to release on hiring for potential for product managers. Many of our clients come to us with, oh, I want this person to have five years building products from scratch and blah, 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 blah. But we know that, say, product managers is a dearth right now. We don't have enough of them. It's also a new, a very new field in this part of the world. So we, there's no maturity, right, in this, in this scope, in this field. So we did an analysis on some of the top the unicorns, who they hire and who is succeeding in the product management role. And we found that the number one previous job that this person have is actually a business analyst or a data analyst. Analytical skills, for example, is important in a product management. So I'm just giving an example, like if you can't hire an experienced product manager, you hire for potential. And what do you look for? How do you ascertain potential, for example, in this product manager? So are you prepared to do that? Number two, in this current climate, are you prepared to hire wherever? That could mean remote hiring. Are you prepared to work and engage and build a distributed team? I think we know it. Most startup founders already know that we, we might not have a choice, but that's the other thing to note. Are we willing to hire wherever? Third one would be dream or this attracting A talent with just plain equity does not work today, <laughs> especially with technology talent. I think even a year ago, we could still sell this story. Okay, how much cash are you willing to give up for equity? And you know, here's the dream that we're building. This is going to be your upside. That's the story, the same story that we've been selling for years. And it has worked. But I think in this current talent war, where anecdotally, I think we're seeing a plus 25% increase in technology salaries or tech folks' salaries, I think we can't do that anymore. We've got to be prepared to pay market salary for cash. Else, every three months, your CTO is going to be tempted by lots of recruiters <laughs> or hiring companies calling them. Things have changed. And I was having this conversation with someone from the VC, one of the VCs who still believes that their portfolio companies can compete just based on equity alone. Not going to happen in this current situation. I mean, realistically. Wow, lots of great advice and a, a good point there. This is increasing competitive intensity across the entire sector. 
How do you see that playing out in the next five to ten years? Do you just think it's just going to keep going up? Just becomes more and more competitive, more and more people hiring for potential, more and more remote, more cash, and more equity? Is that how you think it's play out? Well, hopefully, because I think the universities and all the matured upskilling programs that's happening. So university will be one channel source of talent. And the concept of university is democratizing. So we have education institutes that are complementing the university, Singularity University. And I think through the, this whole last year, there's been more of that. So hopefully, we will be able to find a bigger pool from the young. And then secondly, I think the matured professionals are also upskilling themselves and going for courses. So in Singapore, we're very fortunate because the government has pumped in so much and the universities are collaborating. The, the top tech companies are coming in to upskill and to introduce uh, professionals to these sort of new skills in the technology world. So I think with these two, maybe a pipes that will start to fatten up, hopefully there is going to be some catch up that will happen. The problem will not be as acute. Undoubtedly, I think COVID has done that magic in unleashing the digital transformation of the whole world. So whether you're SME or whether you're corporate, suddenly you realize you cannot do without digital. And I think that's one of the sources of what's happening today. And so, yeah, so as the pipes fill, hopefully the skill gap will start to narrow and that we won't face this problem in five to 10 years. I'm not an economist. I don't have a financial model to this, but I think that could be one solution. The other solution, and I'm, I think that it's a bit divisive for me to say this, <laughs> I think because there's so much money inspiring dreams of many young people to start their own startup, of which maybe many would fail along the way. But as they run their startup, they're actually taking their precious talent away from startups that have got product market fit, that's dying to, to grow and dying for their talent. That is something I'm noticing as well, especially in the last year. Yeah, definitely. How would you say this story is diverges across different countries? So Singapore, Indonesia, Vietnam, I think would be the top three, obviously. And then to a lesser extent, like Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, any thoughts about how the story plays out across the different countries? I think there's a wave. There's usually a wave, I would feel. So it's all about norms. You know? So young people will be like, if I see my friend doing a successful startup, getting funded, going on stage to talk, being a CEO at 20 years old, I would also want to be that. I think there's that wave. And you can see that wave stronger, for sure. In I mean, obviously, Singapore is boiled by also the government incentive schemes. There's a lot of government entrepreneurship schemes. But if you look at the private funding itself, I think Indonesia and Vietnam, there's a lot of that hunger to want to be able to do something different. I think it's also a lot to do with the, with the money, the, the, pot, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. As more exits are happening now and more startups are reaching unicorn status, that pot of gold looks real, no longer like some fudgy looking cloudy thing. It's looking real. So I think that wave will continue as long as there's money in the and there's, and, and we're seeing success. But that's, from a talent perspective, that could also mean, I mean, I don't want to be narrow or in this regard, but that could also mean taking quite a bit of precious talent away from hyper-growth startups or growth stage startups who would need these talent for that 18 months or 24 months. 
What's interesting is that, of course, we see a lot of this like labor arbitrage happening across the region as well. So we see the remote, like you mentioned earlier, digitization means that a Singapore company is working with teams across the whole Southeast Asia and India and even China and vice versa. The Chinese companies are hiring across Southeast Asia. We see Filipino companies hiring across Southeast Asia. So everyone's all over each other. And this is interesting labor arbitrage. And so salaries are kind of like obviously rising faster in certain countries and then especially for certain roles. How should people be thinking about it? Is it good, bad, positive, negative? How do you think about it? I think from a startup perspective, it's obviously positive because the world is at my feet in terms of talent. So if I can find a way that is compliant to uh, regulation and I'm able to find a way to engage everyone uh, and, and build a cohesive, high-performing team across the world, why not, right? I have a few billion talent rather than just the talent within, within the country. Yesterday, a startup founder told me, I don't care where they are, I just want to hire the best. Straight off. Very assertive female founder said that to me. For sure, that's going to solve some of our talent problems. I guess especially in Singapore where, yeah, again, this has been quite a bit of a sensitive topic over the last two days especially, right? With tightening of EP and things like that. But I think it's not just about the tightening of EP. I think for startup founders, it is just about we want the best talent. After what happened with the pandemic and the idea of remote and distributed teams is no longer just confined to tech. I think tech has been doing that for, for the longest time. But now even commercial and operational roles, it is perfectly fine. It's a really big shift. However, I think founders will need to start looking at the compliance as they build this up over the long term. And I think that's where your employer record and some of these startups are coming in to help sort of bridge that gap between, I mean, in, in terms of compliance. What interesting policy dynamic, actually, that I was discussing with another founder was that a country like Singapore, historically, founders saying they want the best talent would historically have meant that the best talent would have moved to Singapore and therefore moved and migrated and maybe even settled down in Singapore because Singapore is a great country to live in terms of a place to live and settle down and have a family which would have been net positive in the long term in terms of the education, mentorship of new generation of people and the GDP and so, so forth. And, and that's not happening anymore. So all this venture capital that Singapore's having is basically flowing into great startups in Singapore. It's hiring the best talent, which is now in Indonesia, Philippines, etc. But now they're all being housed overseas. And so they're stuck there or, or happily stuck there because they're being remote. And then we're fostering the next generation of founders in those countries. So net-net is good, obviously, for the startups in the short term. But from an economic sovereignty perspective, it's maybe not so good for Singapore because you're no longer bringing the next generation of founders into Singapore. What do you think about that? At the end of the day, I think there will still be a large enough pool of top talent that will want to come to Singapore. I think our government has made a, a really good job. I mean, it's a great place to live in. People who come here tell me that it feels unreal, like it's so perfect. So Singapore will still be able to attract the top talent. So when the borders open, I believe that this flow will start to come in. We don't need the, all of the top talent to be in, the, in, in our country, but you know, just a small proportion of it is good enough to have that transference of skill, that diversity in the workplace. Yeah, the, the kind of dynamics that most companies would want the team to be. 
However, I guess it also depends on the personal motivation of the individual. Some of them may just because of family constraints or whatever other considerations want to be in their home. So I think it's going to be just a diverse uh, pool depending on what their personal motivations are really. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there'll be any negative material effect. Awesome. And so uh, wrapping things up here, could you share with us about time that you have been brave? Hmm. How many moments do you want me to share? <laughs> <laughs> A personal one. Uh, okay. One would be a long time ago where I was on the brink of expulsion from school. I grew up in Malaysia and I came to Singapore on a scholarship. And I was put in the top girls school in Singapore. But I was really homesick and I desperately wanted to go home. So I skipped one day of school so that I could get on the train or else there were no tickets for the whole week. And my CCA teacher who disliked me a lot because I was voted as president of the CCA and ousting her favorite student. She blew the whistle. She went to the principal. And so I was hauled to the principal's office with this impending expulsion. Can you imagine how scared I was? Funnily, instead, I thought I'd be in a pool of tears. Instead of crying, I actually explained to the principal why I took a day off because I needed to go home and see my parents. At the same time, I took the opportunity to share with her how I was being, how would I say, like my CCA teacher was really making things really difficult for me emotionally because of the fact that I ousted her favorite student. She would make things so difficult for me as a president. And, and so I, I, I took the opportunity to share with the principal. And so it became a really good session. I was suspended for a few days. She had to, it was protocol. But I think it just gave me that brevity in a way to stand up for what I felt was right or wrong, even at as young as 15 years old. I think that was one brave moment for me, if you want me to share. <laughs> there were others, but uh, maybe we don't have time. Wow. <laughs> I think it's a brave moment because you stuck up for yourself to be home and see home. And, and you stuck up for yourself and for yourself with your principle about being home. I think that was very brave. Yeah, I mean, not, not just about being home, but the teacher was not very fair and was giving me a very hard time. Mm. And there was no avenue to share that. And being hauled into the principal office gave me that avenue to share that as well. And well, I mean, I would, would always remember that, that situation. And recently, I was left on a kayak in the open and choppy sea <laughs> a, a, few, a, a few months ago. And that was scary as well. Uh. And that took a lot of whatever brevity or braveness or whatever that word is in me to stay on course and not be swept to sea. But anyway, yeah. that's a story for another day. <laughs> another day for sure. That'll be the kayak podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. So to wrap things up here, I love to paraphrase the three big themes I got from this conversation. The first, of course, is thank you so much for sharing about what I call the regional tech wars and that you shared in different dimensions. The first, of course, being in the context of what it was like to be uh, thinking about it from the dimension of the taxi wars uh, that lets you have your first big break uh, as, as a startup founder in building out the tech and talent placement, but also in a context of placing folks across different countries like Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, and even Hong Kong. The second that I really enjoyed was, of course, how to win a talent. So in the context of how you recommended that founders really take the time 
and focus to pitch talent uh, the way they would pitch VCs and to also celebrate winning talent the way they would celebrate winning uh, funding rounds. And so that they should not delegate the hiring process, but they should also take ownership and be that general on the front line of it. So really good advice to really take ownership of that front line process. And lastly, I think I really appreciate why I call, I think the personal dimension around, um, I think that all the advice, I think all the small moments of what it means to be a human person around making career decisions in Southeast Asia. And I think you showed what it means to be aware of the context around how to negotiate in terms of what is market for equity, what is market for cash these days, or what is market for the upcoming supply and demand for talent for different roles and uh, contexts in the region. So thank you so much, Elena, for sharing all of this. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. It was a fun process for me to reflect and be able to articulate some of the thoughts that are silent. And so it's, a, it's an amazing that you gave me this value to talk. I thought 45 minutes was long, but you're right. It passes by really quickly and we could go on for another 45 minutes to talk about chapter two. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.